Welcome to the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with me, Angeline Trevina, and me, H.B. Line. We'll be digging deep into our own experiences and sharing what we've learned along the way to publishing over 15 books between us in five years. We'll share writing tips and tricks for creating immersive worlds and compelling characters for your stories, as well as advice on author life and publishing options. So get comfy and grab a cuppa. Let's get started. Welcome to the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. It's just Holly today bringing you an interview with the wonderful Cindy Gunter Baldo, who is a podcaster and YouTube creator, making irresistible content all about planning, organisation and being real online. But first, a big thank you to our patrons who are helping to make this show possible. In exchange for their support, patrons get exclusive behind-the-scenes access and get to hear all the bad-taste jokes and rants and raves that Angeline and I have off-air. If you'd like to hear more, visit patreon.com forward slash unstoppableauthors. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash unstoppableauthors. I'd like to take a moment to reflect on what's happening in the world right now. I'm actually re-recording this opening because what I originally recorded became out of date well ahead of this episode airing. Things are changing so rapidly now and I know a lot of people are scared and experiencing a huge amount of anxiety over the uncertainty of things. I manage okay with uncertainty although I strongly dislike my plans being disrupted but I can cope. But for those of you who are finding this difficult, please know that you are not alone. Angeline and I are discussing ways that we can be there for our listeners during this difficult time and we will keep you posted. On which note, we have taken the difficult decision to postpone Indie Fire. We were hoping that the COVID-19 outbreak would have passed by in time, but due to the uncertainty over whether that would be the case or not, we've decided to push it back to the 14th of November. All tickets purchased so far will be transferable to the new date. If there are any changes to our lineup of guest authors, we'll announce those as soon as they occur. In brighter news, I'm a little bit giddy because I finally have my own office space, which is something I've been craving for a few years now. I've been struggling to be as productive as I want to be while having to work at the dining table or in the living room with very noisy kids around. Now I have a door I can close. Never underestimate that. Plus, I'm surrounded by my own lovely books and stationery and it's a bit of a dream come true. Creating this space was a goal of mine last year, but it didn't happen because I didn't prioritise it and take action steps to make it happen. I carried it over as a goal into this year and made it my top priority and now here I am. With this dedicated workspace, I know that I can smash my writing and business goals right out of the park, or some other sports metaphor. So, on to the interview. I was really pleased when Cindy agreed to come on the show. I've been a fan of hers for a while now, and I wanted to talk to her about her book release. This interview is a little different because Cindy isn't a fiction author. She's an illustrator and online content creator in the planner community. 
Her debut book, Cute Hand Lettering, is an illustrated how-to on adding hand lettering to journals and planners. It came out earlier this month and I have my copy right next to my desk. We talk a bit about how she was approached by a publisher to produce the book, what went into it and what it's been like working with her publisher. We also talked about her illustration and her podcast, The Uncurated Life, and what it's like to manage her goals and accomplish things while living with a chronic health condition. I love her candid style and no-nonsense attitude. We do have some colourful language in this interview, particularly around the discussion of her unique set of floral illustrations, so if you're offended by four-letter words, you may want to skip the rest of this episode. If, however, you're curious to hear what on earth I could possibly be talking about, listen on. Today I'm talking to Cindy Gunter-Boldo, who is a lettering artist, podcaster and YouTube creator. Cindy recently launched her first set of flower illustrations, all of which have naughty words hidden in them. She's an advocate of lifting the curtain on the curated life we usually see on social media and is launching her first book in March. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I have to start with the fuckery flowers. <laughs> Where did the inspiration for those come from? So I had for a while wanted to sell something different than like planner related, which is the community I'm in, you know, mm. planner stuff. But I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something with my art. And I love painting flowers. But it kept occurring to me that painting, just painting generic flowers, while they're pretty, there's a billion other people painting generic flowers out there. And there's nothing, like, about me, aside from the fact that I like to paint flowers. And it was actually in conversation with some of the people on my Patreon where it's sort of morphed into like this I think the original idea was to do a big naughty word with like a flower like kind of entwined with it Mm. but then it began to shift into having them be kind of subversive as in like from far away you look at them and they look like just a pretty flower painting but if you look closer there's something there for people Mm. who pay a little bit more attention and so that was like right in my wheelhouse because if I all the other things I've liked to do like I love doing like aesthetically pleasing stuff but I also like having like realistic or like naughty words or whatever in there as well and so sometimes at a glance it might just look like something pretty but there's usually more to it the Mm. more you look yeah when uh, when you shared the images I was I was looking through them I was on my phone sort of scrolling through and I was having to like zoom in to some of them to find the word and I was cackling away and my husband was like what are you laughing about what's going on and I showed him and he couldn't find the words it took him ages to realize the joke and uh, I had to point some of them out and be like no no look here look here so they're fantastically subtle and um, just very entertaining <laughs> Well, I put I put them all up in my all the the ones in the first series. I'm working on the second series right now. But the first series is all hanging in my kitchen, like my dining area. Yeah. And we had our whole family over for Thanksgiving, right after I did that. And it was so funny because there were like you could see people coming into the kitchen and like get, like looking at them and then like getting closer and closer to them as they were trying to figure out what they said. 
so I just I thought I thought that was really funny because you know again like you could walk right by them and be like oh yeah that's cute but yeah it's like almost like a magic eye painting except <laughs> you know, yeah definitely naughty words <laughs> so I know you from the planner community and uh, you have this system of planners that you've worked out over time and figured out what works for you um I know so many writers who believe that there isn't a planner in the world that would work for them, um, but they're horribly disorganized. And I think that, you know, they could be helped perhaps by finding the right planner for them. So do you have any advice for those kinds of people? Actually, I do. And it's not, it's not from personal experience as much as it is from, um, falling down the YouTube rabbit hole. Like for when I wrote my book, which was a little different than a lot of other books that get written because it wasn't so much the like writing. I'm like on a podcast, you can't see I'm making little like keyboard <laughs> gestures with my hands, but it was a lot of like drawing and then bits and pieces of writing here and there. So when I did that, I mostly broke it down with my bullet journal and my Google calendar. But there is somebody on YouTube named um, Sarah Cannon and she has a channel called Heart Breathings and she mm. actually puts out a 90 day planner specifically for writers. Mm. And I've watched her before because of her 90 day goal setting process is really helpful for me and I just take from it what I need to. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you're an author and you're struggling, I've known a lot of other people who are writers who really find her, her, um, her system to be helpful. Okay, great. Thank you. So a lot of us are terrible procrastinators. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, yes, <laughs> nodding away. Um, you have a new Skillshare class, don't you? Um, project planning for procrastinators. Um, is there anything you can share that uh, writers listening might be able to uh, you know, gain some insight and some value? Yeah, you know, one of the things that, at least for me as a procrastinator, that really gets stressful, and this was the same when I, when I had my book deadline, was that the big deadline is, it's really nerve-wracking. And if you don't have a deadline, then the first thing you should do is set a deadline mm -hmm. and, like, really internalize it. But that one big deadline if, you, if that's all you think about, then the chances of you pushing and pushing to wait, to wait, to wait till you get closer to the deadline is, is really high. And the thing that I've learned is that you need to not only break it up into smaller pieces, but you need to set deadlines for those smaller pieces and like really train yourself to see those as deadlines because then it'll force you to get stuff done in a more reasonable pace. And when I was doing my book, I had a really quick deadline from when they approved the book to when I had to turn in the final stuff, I had four months. Right. And I hadn't written it yet because I was this, I didn't shop the book. I was approached about the book and right. I was trying to do it that way. So I wouldn't procrastinate in the first couple months. It was kind of hard. And so I was sort of still half-assing like, my deadlines, like stressing myself out, blah, blah, blah. But by the third month, I had gotten so used to having like smaller weekly deadlines that it actually began to work for me. Mm 
Mm. And it helped me because I had a surgery coming up right after the, I had to turn the book stuff in. And so it, it helped divide it up and make it so that I would still procrastinate, but I would be procrastinating on those weekly deadlines, which is a much smaller chunk mm. to catch up on than an entire month's worth of book. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that makes sense, but like it, it was kind of, I was basically like faking myself out. You know, like knowing I was going to procrastinate, but trying to move that procrastination to something that was a little bit more manageable than procrastinating on the one big deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you advocate breaking a project down into smaller, um, more manageable. Yes. Yeah. Because otherwise you know, if you're going to procrastinate, you're going to procrastinate. And like, there's, there's a point where, um, there's a bunch of research that says that procrastination is actually an emotional response that we're trying to avoid the bad feelings that doing the thing might give us, despite the fact that by procrastinating, we know that there's going to be worse feelings when we are running late on something. Mm -hmm. And so if that emotional response is something you tend to have, if you tend to feel that way, and that's like, and I'm a chronic procrastinator, so I know that almost any project I'm going to procrastinate on. The only way that I really was able to work around it was to just set myself up for an easier time procrastinating, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. like I was I, like working within what I knew I was going to do. I was trying to, um, and one of the things that helped was having my editor be in on it so -hmm. that she instead of even though I had the big deadline they were expecting stuff from me for these smaller deadlines not because I was required to but because I asked them to Mm -hmm. hold me accountable to those Mm, that's a good idea okay so um you mentioned that you were you were approached to write the book so um tell us a bit about that uh, it was one of those emails. And to be perfectly honest, it was one of those emails that just sort of floats into your inbox that almost doesn't look, like it didn't look promising. Like it had one of those, like it felt, the original email kind of felt a little, you know, like, oh yeah, right. This isn't really a thing. You know, like you get some of those emails that you just sort of ignore and you move past. But then I looked closer at it and I was like, no, this actually might be a thing. So let me reach back out. And they had found my YouTube channel and were looking to do, it's a company that does craft books. And so they were looking for a lettering book specifically geared towards people who use planners and bullet journals and things like that. And mm-hmm. so they found me on the internet and they reached out to me. And then what happened was I was supposed to, they gave me kind of what they we're looking for a book about lettering for planners and whatever. And I worked with them to put together a proposal for that book that had some sample pages of what it might look like and um, information about me, information about the community. And then I had to lay out the whole book. Like I had to put out the, the um, outline of the book chapters and what was going to be in those chapters. Mm-hmm. And they gave me some parameters like, this is the size of the book. This is how big we're expecting it to be. This is how many pages. And when I gave them my breakdown, they took that breakdown and converted it into what they felt was going to be the most, like the way the pages would fall based on their experiences. And then they shopped that around and a publisher picked it up. 
Because they're like a, a company that does publishing, but also, especially in the United States, partners with other publishers. Right. And so they found a U.S. publisher and but that took the whole process, the getting the proposal, the proposal took about a month, putting that together. And then from then, it was about six months before I found out whether or not the book was going to, like the, before the book was finally approved. Mm. And then yeah. from there, four months to get it written. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned working with an editor. Was that, um, was it a positive experience? Did you, were there hiccups along the way? How did that go? It was a very positive experience. I worked with a small team. There was like kind of like the point person who was sort of like my editor, but also my like advocate or whatever at the uh, the company. And then there was a designer who I, I did all the artwork and all the writing, but then the designer actually t- and gave them kind of an idea of what I wanted it to look like. And then the designer actually turned it into the book because mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. And um. And there was like a project manager who was also there to kind of help out as well. So that was, it was really, it was very helpful, especially since I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I sat down with a meeting with them. They took notes for me. We talked through the whole book and what the process would look like. And they were there to answer questions. And like I said, they helped hold me accountable. But, and I think they did a beautiful job taking what I gave them and putting it together. But yeah, like I just, I had, I was taking this whole thing as a learning experience so that the next time I write a book, I'll have an idea of kind of what, at least some idea of what the process looks like. Mm. So do you think you will write another one? I hope so. Yeah. I really would like to do another, at least another book in the style of the lettering book. But I also, my big goal, assuming I get a kidney from somebody in the planner community, which is what I'm hoping, my big goal is to write a book about that, like an actual Mm -hmm. book, not a a Mm -hmm. craft book. Okay. Because I think there's something really powerful with, yeah, with the way that there are like niche communities on the internet, mm. and I think that somebody getting a life-saving, you know, organ donation yeah. from one of those communities from somebody from somewhere else is pretty cool. Yeah, that actually brings me very neatly onto my next question. Um, mm. You spin so many plates, uh, and you do it all with a chronic condition. So how do you manage your schedule and accommodate your polycystic kidney disease? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not very well. (laughs) It was funny. I, um, this week I've been kind of, I've been kind of like clicking my, not literally, but like mentally clicking my heels, like in the air, like, yay, I finally don't have gout or, you know, a toothache or I've been just going through a bunch of stuff this last Mm. month and like one thing on top of the other. And this week it's like my kidneys hurt. Like they always do. Like I'm still in like a lot of pain as my usual, but it's my usual, right? It's my baseline. And that is like, yes, (laughs) it's just my regular pain, you know, which is ridiculous even when you think about that. But I was talking to my sister on the phone about it last night. She also has the polycystic kidney disease and we were discussing how how when she was right before, when she was on dialysis, right before she um, got her transplant a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, she uh, was doing all the things, you know, she was singing in choirs and serving on boards and, you know, working, et cetera. Like she doesn't have kids, but she and her husband have a very active, like child-free life. And how she didn't know how to stop 
but she was exhausted and like feeling awful while she was doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not quite as bad as she was at that time. Like in terms of how I'm feeling, I'm not on dialysis yet. And I, uh, I'm, but I've got a lot, like you said, a lot of plates spinning and I'm not good at saying no to things. So mm-hmm. I sort of get through everything by just hanging on by my like fingernails to my life because, and so when every, some like dumpster fires in my life, like a couple weeks ago happen, mm-hmm. I, it's almost like I don't know how to cope with it once I hit like the limit. So mm-hmm. I'm not exactly the best model in the world for getting, I'm, I'm an over, I'm an over committer and I have less energy than I used to. And my overcommitment side of me has not matched up with the side of me that doesn't feel good yet. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like yeah. they're not, they're still kind of at odds with each other and I'm learning to set better boundaries, but I haven't really succeeded in any of that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I, that answers your question, but I think it's kind of a meta answer to your question. Yeah. No, it kind of does. Um, I think it's, because I find you very inspiring. Um, and I don't think it's a case of um, aspiring to take on as much as you do. I think um, I think you can... Um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Um, you can be an advocate for slowing down and taking care of yourself and everything. Um, while still learning how to do that yourself. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can help other people. You know, other people can um, can learn with you, learn, you know, in the same well, and way. That's, that's something that I try to do. Like, I've always been really, well, I mean, at least to hope, I've always been really transparent with everything going on, like in my life and how sort of I'm feeling at any given moment because that's just been my goal. Like I don't, I can kind of see the idea of like only showing small parts of your life because you want to set boundaries around your internet life. Mm. But for me, I feel like the value is in seeing someone on the internet who is letting, like I don't tell like details that don't belong to me. Like I don't go into great detail about, particular issues that my kids or my husband or my sisters or whoever are dealing with because it's there unless they're okay with it like talking about my sister's kidney problems or you know Mm -hmm. talking about when my kids being non-binary like that's they've given me permission to talk about that especially because they also recognize that by talking about those things I'm also helping potentially giving other people who are struggling with either that or something similar to that something to kind of like glom onto yeah but it's 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 there's so many people who are like struggling to just figure it out Mm. and there's so much on the internet of people who at least present as though they already have figured it out and that to me that to me is not helpful I Mm want to see somebody who's in the process of it so I can like I've always joked about like I'm, I like to find people who are like just two steps ahead of me as opposed to like 20 steps ahead of me, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so that's yeah, what I hope to do. You know? I think you do that really well. I think you're very open and like you said, transparent on your podcast and your YouTube channel. And do you think that that approach helps you to achieve the things that you want to achieve? 
Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think that it both does and doesn't. Like it does in the sense that that the people who find me and like really are glad to have found me tend to be wonderful people who are just from a logistical standpoint, excellent subscribers, excellent patrons, excellent people who shop at my shop, you know, like in like a purely marketing standpoint, right? Like I don't like to look at things that way, but just let's put it that way. In a purely marketing standpoint, the people who find me tend to be loyal people to my quote unquote brand or whatever. The, the, the kind of flip side of that is that I tend to grow slowly because I'm not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and I'm, I think I'm not for everybody in a way that makes it pretty clear right off the bat. If people find me and they're like, uh, uh-uh, nope. And then they peace out, like, which is good. I'd much rather have somebody know right off the bat I'm not for them to have somebody stick around and then be like, oh God, what have I been watching? Unless that's something that they want to do. If somebody wants to hate watch me, I'm totally cool with that. I'm all about the hate watching life. But like, the it, so it, it helps me in that the people, who, the people who find me, the things I want to do often are dependent on, on having an audience to help support me in the things I want to do. And the funny thing is I don't have this massive master plan of all the things I want to do. I sort of do things like the fuckery flowers. They sort of come out of conversations and I'm like, Oh, that sounds good. Let's do that. The podcast. I talked about it with my patrons for three months and then just started doing it. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have a, I'm very much, I guess intuitive is the right word, but really I like, it's like the fly by the seat of your pants sort of school (laughs) of getting things done because I just, I don't, Mm. if it doesn't feel good, I don't do it. And if it does feel good, then I usually procrastinate on it and then eventually do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I think that's very relatable. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, and the funny thing is, okay. And this is going to sound like sort of a dick thing to say, but like, there is very much a path out there for people who want to have an online business. There's a very, very like laid out path in terms of like building an audience and then having a course and then selling a product and then going, doing this other thing. And then this other, and there's a very like marketing, like quote unquote proven process, excuse me, for being a online entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to be somebody who loves to consume information. And so I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of podcasts and I watch a lot of videos on this kind of thing. Even though I don't do it, I do it to try and pick what I want out of it. Mm. But I can recognize when somebody's doing it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for somebody, I don't know how it feels to somebody in general who isn't in that world, but for somebody who has sort of observed this cycle or whatever, it is extremely easy to spot when somebody's sort of following that path and it never feels authentic to me. I hate that word, but like it is, it's a word that has a specific meaning and it really does. It feels kind of hokey to me Mm. and I don't want to feel like that. You know, I would rather, even if it works, it's not something I'm interested in doing unless it feels right. And Mm. that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, why don't you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you in all the places? 
Oh, so it's pretty easy and yet not easy because I'm not consolidated on any particular. <laughs> on Instagram, I'm llama letters, llama like the animal, the spitting animal. And then on YouTube and my website, it's my name, Cindy Gundrabaldo. And then my uh, podcast is called the Uncurated Life Podcast and it's on all the things. If you go to the website, you can gen- like cindygunterbaldo.com, you can generally find your way to all of the other things. Mm-hmm. I tend to spend the most time, besides my Patreon, I tend to spend the most time kind of lurking around Facebook in my Facebook group, Llamas Love Lettering, and in other planner Facebook groups. But I also try to be in my YouTube comments right after videos publish, and I publish on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Mm-hmm. Great. So, and when is your book out? Uh, next week. Next the third question mark. <laughs> I think I can't remember. I never really figured that out. Like people, like I didn't even know when it got on Amazon. It just sort of happened. I was like, oh, that's cool. So yeah, it's next week, I believe, is when it's starting to release. And if you're in, if any of you are in the uh, Northern California area, I will be doing a very small event towards the end of the month at a bookstore in Napa. It's going to be a lettering workshop. Ooh. That's it's ticketed. It's like twenty five bucks a ticket, but that includes a copy of the book. So excellent. And I'll have more information on that whenever I, they give it to me. So. <laughs> yeah. And the title of your book is Cute Hand Lettering, yes? Yes. Yep. Yeah. You can search that or you search my name and it pops right up. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been an Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed the interview. It was a little different from most of our other content, but I think it's a good idea to look outside our own niches for inspiration and education. It was a real pleasure to chat to Cindy. You can find all the details for her book, podcast and YouTube channel in our show notes at unstoppableauthors.com. That's all from me today. Join Angeline and I next week when we'll be discussing tropes and cliches. If you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate it if you could grab a screenshot and share it on social media. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. We'll be back next week with more writing and publishing tips and tricks. You can find us in all the usual places. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And the show notes are at unstoppableauthors.com. On our website, you can also find the link to join our Guild of Unstoppable Authors so you never miss an episode and we will have more goodies for you soon. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review.